The passage of time can be a hindrance or a boon when it comes to unsolved crime. As years pass, leads shrivel, police redirect their focus, suspects move, people forget events and details, and the public at large loses interest. But sometimes, years elapsed bring unexpected breaks in investigations. Suspects become lazy or sloppy, bragging to friends or confiding in relatives. Relationships change and people relocate. Witnesses feel emboldened to share what they were too afraid to speak of 14 years ago. Such was the case with Morgan. You should know that we are calling this woman Morgan, but that isn't her real name. She asked that we not reveal her identity publicly. Morgan lived at Mosaic at the same time as Jennifer Kessie, but the two never knew each other. When Jennifer disappeared in January 2006, Morgan was living in a building right next door to Jennifer's. Morgan was a college student and a bartender at a local restaurant. She lived at Mosaic from 2003 to 2007. She told us about her many strange experiences at the property. Most chilling, though, is Morgan's claim that she knows the person pictured in that haunting surveillance video, the unknown person who abandoned Jennifer's car one mile from the Mosaic. She has never before shared her story publicly. We met Morgan in a donut shop not far from the Mosaic complex. Um, yes, what name, what first name are you comfortable with? What would you like to use? Morgan? Morgan, sure. okay. That's she fine. sat next to the window at a table set for four. She was articulate, warm, and outgoing. She was dressed professionally, having come straight from work. And she was eager to tell her story. She described in detail her years of living at Mosaic. She was 19 when she moved into her first apartment there with two roommates. It was new. The area was really up and coming. It was fun. Me and my girlfriends at that age are close to downtown. And so we were living our best lives and, you know, all was well. During this time, Mosaic was busy converting apartments into condos, one of which Jennifer Kessie would eventually purchase. By the end of Morgan's three years living there, the so-called luxury experience at Mosaic was anything but. When we first moved in, it was affluent and, you know, really full. But then by that end of that third year, they were trying to struggle to just sell them as condos. Like I know Jennifer had actually purchased. So that was a shift because a lot of these units were just empty. And so by that time, it was just a mess, everything. It was fine at first. I was on a one on the first floor. Being by myself, I was oftentimes scared, and I felt like I knew the maintenance people and I knew a lot of the people in the neighborhood. I also had some guy friends that lived in, in the complex as well. All things considered, I felt safe under the circumstances, but there were, certainly after being there for a little bit, some interesting interactions started occurring with maintenance. Mosaic's condo conversion meant construction was happening around the clock. Morgan was used to the constant presence of maintenance workers. She became friendly with at least one. Um, so there was a gentleman named Chino who worked there. And when I would be out walking my dogs late at night after my bartending job, he would, three, four o'clock in the morning, he would just be like out walking around the parking lot. He would always walk up to me, hey, and how are you? And what's going on? And I always had this uneasy feeling. But then I also just thought, you're being paranoid. You know, it is late and it is, you know, dark. But, you know, they, this guy works here. You know him, all of these things. I said, you know, what do you do? What do you do around here? He goes, oh, I'm actually dating someone who lives in the building over here. He would point, you know, down yonder. 
but I never saw that person. I never saw him go in or out of those units. And so I really wasn't sure where he lived, even though that's like, that's what he said. Morgan's interactions with this man became more frequent. Um, there'd be times that he would come over or just try to knock on my door and just like, pop in and, you know, be friendly and ask questions and ask if I had any books to recommend or, you know, I'd share DVDs. And he was really, really friendly and, you know, Keep in mind that if any maintenance needed to be done, he was the one that was in there. So naturally, you, you start to have a relationship, you know, cordial one. But he just would come by often, unexpectedly, and nothing ever happened, and I never was put in a, a really uncomfortable situation. So he would knock on your door mm -hmm. at some random hour yep. and ask if you had a book to recommend? Or like DVDs, or what am I doing? How was my, my night at work? And you know, I'm just out and about, or oh, I just got an argument with my girlfriend and I just need to, to blow off some steam and be out of the house. I did pretty much have a routine because I was in college and I was working, so I kind of had a set schedule. and it would be easy to pick up on those patterns. And there was even times where I'd make jokes like, man, you sure fight with your girlfriend a lot. Like, how are you always out here? You know, you only fight at 3.30 and 4 o'clock in the morning, you know? Initially, Morgan didn't think much of those interactions. But as time went on, she began to question his intentions. In addition, her roommate began having strange interactions of her own. Morgan shared one incident with producer Jureen Tanner. My friend would see somebody out and about late at night taking pictures of her around the same time that I would be out and about walking my dogs and see Chino out. So it could be completely unrelated, but it's hard for me to rule it out. And she reported it to management and that nothing was ever really done about it. When she just sees someone standing outside her, did she live on the first floor, second, second floor? Second floor. And she would see someone like just in the parking lot. Like she would say um, on the ground floor, like looking up into like their windows. With the camera, no, like a real camera. She said, and she remember, it had a huge, a huge lens. Like a camera, camera. No, this is a legit camera, guys. This is 2006. This is a legit zoom-in camera. And that's why she would say, she would see this person, like, sometimes in a hallway. She even said that she saw someone in a unit, like, with the blinds, that was supposedly an empty unit. And yet somebody was in there taking pictures across into her building. She felt uncomfortable that management didn't address it and she felt she did everything that she was supposed to do. She was seriously worried for her safety. She ended up moving out. I mean, she would only walk the dog with her boyfriend there and he would bring a gun to walk the dog. I mean, that was a level of fear or just discomfort. We'll be back after this short break. New from the Fox News Podcast Network, a look back at the 2000 election. I will work for you every day and I will never let you down. Fox News presents Election Rewind 2000. Give me the opportunity to lead this nation and I will lead. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Hey folks, it's your man Keyshawn Johnson here to talk about Angie. Formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. 
Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Morgan shared another unsettling story. If something needed to be fixed in her apartment, say a leaky faucet, there wasn't a formal way to put in a request. It was kind of word of mouth, and then a maintenance worker would just show up at her apartment unannounced. I recall times of just maintenance, like opening the door and you're like, what, what the hell? And they're like, oh, sorry, wrong wrong door. A lot of times you weren't even putting in a work order request. So it, it's not like there was formal. So they did knock first before just opening the door? I don't recall, no. And there's no documentation of any of that stuff because you weren't going through management for that. So there was no professional, here's a piece of paper and the window of opportunity that we're gonna come 24 hour notice before we're in your unit. That didn't happen. Wow. Mm-hmm. Any other maintenance workers, aside from the one you mentioned, who come to mind? Other than Chino? Yeah. There was just the other one with the dreads, because I knew that they would, they were always together. And honestly, they would smoke pot together. I would see them riding around. They were just little buds and, and would hang out. But again, Chino was always alone at night and said that he lived there. But again, I never saw him going into a unit. I never saw this girlfriend that he spoke of. I never saw him driving around. You know, he just always was walking the property. And he had keys to all of the units, too. Um, and that was definitely known. The fact that the workers like Chino had keys to all the units became a matter of concern. Morgan felt uneasy. We started hearing some of the details from what we heard as, as residents and tenants was, you know, there was no forced entry and that there was rumors that she had put in a maintenance request and there was a maintenance guy who was just in there within a couple of days or a, a couple of days prior. So it, it was a little uneasy because there seemed to be no forced entry. So either someone had a key or someone she trusted hypothetically if, if she was taken from that, that unit. Certainly a lot of confusion. So then when I think about my, my old roommate's story about how there was this guy taking pictures and, and outside the window and, and on the stairwell and the building across hiding in the hallway, um, you know, it's a little bit tough to imagine that there's no correlation being there taking photos and... The individual taking those photos has never been identified to this day. Morgan described other disturbing details about life at Mosaic. How would you describe security at that time in 2006? There was no security. There was two maintenance people who rode around on a golf cart smoking weed and the gates were open and sometimes there would be someone in the little security guard booth. Fast forward to 2020 when Jareen and I tried to visit Mosaic with private investigator Mike Toretta. It was impossible for us to get in. Came all the way from Tampa. Oh, God bless. Yeah, sorry about that, sir. Okay, thank you. These people are impossible. This is super tight security. Yeah, now. I wish it was like this when Jennifer lived here. It was the antithesis of what Morgan described. There was an armed guard at the gate, and despite Mike sharing that he was a former law enforcement officer, we still couldn't break into the fortress that was Mosaic. Neither Morgan nor Jennifer had this level of security in 2006. In fact, 
There were no security cameras on the property when Jennifer disappeared. They were installed two weeks later. In addition to the lack of security at Mosaic, Morgan recalled another disturbing detail. I would walk my dogs and there were dumpsters around the property and multiple times I found dead dogs laying next to the dumpster. And I just thought it was weird and there was already so many weird things that had kind of occurred and it could be completely unrelated, but dead I just- dogs? Yeah, like just like a dead dog like wrapped up in a blanket. You want to think like, if this is somebody's family dog, I can't imagine that this is how they would dispose of them. So it just makes you think that somebody go out and murder this dog, you know, these dogs, because it wasn't just one. Morgan said she saw dead dogs by the dumpsters three or four times. I remember one had looked like a German Shepherd and the head wasn't even wrapped up in the blanket. Keep in mind, we, the unit did back up next to the Humane Society or the, the ASPCA, but there's no way. I mean, there were fences, you know, and how would this happen multiple times? Remember, Jennifer Kessie moved into Mosaic on Thanksgiving Day of 2005. She lived there only two months before she vanished. Morgan remembers her disappearance well. I'm just walking my dogs and I just see people with flyers and, you know, just walk, running around. And I was like, you know, what's going on? And then they started asking, have you seen this person? And it, it all starts to hit you. And because I worked locally, I would see the Kessies coming in. I grew up in this community. And so it's been such a, it's like equivalent to Casey Anthony. You know, it's such a huge, huge thing in this mm -hmm. community. How do you feel knowing that you were in the building next door at around the same yeah. time this crime probably occurred? I mean, it's crazy, it's absurd, you know? And that's why I always say, like, I wish I could have looked, maybe I could have seen something or, no. you know. But you just wish you had something to help and if, if I could have seen if there was a light on maybe or anything. There is some level of guilt that, you know, I, I couldn't contribute more, but dark. Like, well, I still have this fear because I live alone now. I don't sleep in the dark. You know, I have cameras everywhere. You think it's so surreal, but then it happens. It didn't happen to me, but it happened right next to me. You can see the faces of the family. It just, it becomes so much more personal and so real. It became even more real when Jennifer's car, a black Chevy Malibu, was discovered two days after she went missing on January 26, 2006. It was found a little over a mile away at another apartment complex called Huntington on the Green. Surveillance video collected from the apartment complex shows a person walking away from Jennifer's car after parking it. As we mentioned earlier, the video wasn't released to the public until months after her disappearance in July 2006. The mystery figure was named a person of interest and became the center of the investigation. No one could positively identify the person in the video. But when Morgan saw the video, she says she knew who it was without a doubt. Her certainty took me aback. I wasn't expecting that. When the photo was released of the, the person of interest, I was like, that's Chino. That is him. The posture, the height, you know, the, the hair, just, it was him, you know? And I, I was there for, you know, Three, almost three years at this point, and it was the first person that I thought. And if it wasn't him, it was someone very, very similar in shape and size and, and stance. And um, to this day, it just makes me sick to my stomach. Was Chino very thin? Small, thin, you know, small framed person. Kind of had that 
a little bit of this hunched over posture. Mm -hmm. And even the way that the clothes fit, just a little bit baggy and kind of loose, you know, mm -hmm. it was just, it just really reminded me. And what was his hair, like? hair like? It was just like long and black and kind of almost like a bowl shape, just like a little bit, you know, long. It wasn't a fade, it wasn't shaved up and, and anything like that. So just kind of a little bit long and, and flowy. Was he often by himself or was he hanging out with yeah. other guys? Well, at night he was always by himself. Um, but there was always this feeling of there's just something with this guy. There was always an uneasy feeling and, you know, he was friendly, but it was in this kind of fake, like, textbook way. It was this very generic, like, hey, uh, mm. kind of staged. Didn't even know his real name, didn't even know if he had a last name, you know, and it was the staged presence and this fake girlfriend that no one, nobody ever saw. And so it was kind of this mystery guy who was friendly, but certainly a mystery um, around the, the complex for sure. The Orlando Police Department never questioned Morgan. Neither did the FBI. In fact, it would be 11 years before she heard from anyone investigating Jennifer's disappearance. That person was private investigator Mike Toretta. After hearing Morgan's account, I tracked down Chino and spoke with him on the phone for nearly 40 minutes. I'm choosing not to release Chino's full name or the audio from the phone call, since he was never publicly identified as a suspect or person of interest by the Orlando Police Department. Let me backtrack just a little. Chino was interviewed by authorities investigating the disappearance of Jennifer Kessie, and he also took a polygraph. In 2009, former OPD detective Joel Wright interviewed a cleaning lady who also claimed that the person in the video could be Chino, according to sources. Wright did some digging and then found out that someone called the tip line in the first week after Jennifer went missing to report a man named Chino, but the tip got overlooked. Wright then interviewed Chino and another man named Ben. The two were reportedly always together at Mosaic, often painting inside the units. According to sources familiar with those interviews, Ben and Chino said they had been painting inside Jennifer's condo about a week before she disappeared. Chino described Jennifer to Detective Wright as a nice lady who told the pair to let themselves out of the condo whenever they finished their work. But that account doesn't exactly jibe with statements I heard from the Kessie family. Drew Kessie said his daughter was always on the phone with someone when maintenance workers were inside her condo. She often stood in the doorway, chatting with Drew or her boyfriend, Rob Allen. I was on the phone with her because she, she had to let them in and she was like, I'm going to be on the, I'm going to call you because I don't want to be in the house on my own with those guys. Ben could not be reached for comment. Chino told me he had nothing to do with Jennifer's disappearance. While Chino didn't go into very much detail about that day, he said, quote, Whatever I knew, the FBI has that information. He said he took a polygraph test and passed it. He also said he is not the person in the video, noting that's not how he wore his hair in 2006, and claimed he's being unfairly targeted. My hands and my heart are clean, he told me. My head was spinning with all of this information. It prompted me to delve even further into the case and speak with as many police sources as I could. Who else did authorities interview? Did they have any other leads? As it turns out, they did. 
One individual, whose name I'm also withholding, assaulted two women in the Orlando area, one before Jennifer disappeared and the other just days after. This man, whom I'm calling by his initials, MR, was arrested for assault in both of those cases. Physical evidence linked him to at least one of the victims, and he later confessed to the crimes and served time in prison. According to my sources, MR fits the profile of the person in the surveillance video. He's short in stature, the same estimated height as the figure in the video, with the same build, hairstyle, and shoes. Much like the person in the video, MR's feet were notably large for his height. And he too was a painter, who was working about one mile from Jennifer's condo on the day she disappeared, according to sources. Most alarming was his violent criminal history. I asked law enforcement sources about other possible suspects and learned of at least two more people. An ex-boyfriend of Jennifer's was reportedly drinking at the Blue Martini Bar across the street from Jen's condo on the night of January 23rd. He was questioned by Orlando police. And then there was a coworker of Jen's who is said to have had a crush on her, asking her out on dates. He too was questioned and cleared by authorities. None of these individuals were ever charged in Jennifer's disappearance. I'm not an investigator. My job is not to solve the crime that I cover. But sometimes I sure feel like one, chasing down leads and interviewing people about what they saw or heard or know. In college, I distinctly remember what a criminal psychology professor once told me. Consider all possibilities so that you never get tunnel vision by focusing on only one suspect or scenario. In the next episode of House of Broken Dreams, hear what one woman witnessed near Jennifer Kessie's condo on the morning she disappeared. We saw a black Malibu, and we saw a struggle in the car as if someone was taking a steering wheel out of someone's hand. Once we saw that car on the news, we both knew that was exactly the car we had seen coming out of Mosaic. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.